Hello, and welcome to episode nine of the Coin Press Podcast. I'm Luke Willis. Today, I'm joined by the amazing Jonathan Stark. Welcome, Jonathan. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so for for my usual listeners here, uh, you're a bit of an outsider to crypto, but you're interested in the space. Mm-hmm. So for the audience, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, these days, I am a business coach. Uh, I'm a former software developer, and these days I'm on a mission to rid the world of hourly billing. So I help other software developers and people who traditionally build by the hour to switch off of that kind of an approach because it's bad for everybody involved. But that's not the subject of today's talk, so I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> but yeah, that's my my current uh, job, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's a, it's enough of a statement to get people interested. So uh, we'll definitely send people over to you uh, if you're interested in learning more about ditching hourly billing. Um, but yeah, you're, uh, the format that you use for your daily newsletter and podcasts is what inspired me to do this with the coin press. So, oh, cool. uh, yeah, definitely Great. excited to have you on. Um, so yeah, so just jumping right in, what has you, uh, interested in blockchain right now? Uh, why are you coming to this and, and why now? Yeah, I've had my eyes on blockchain since it s- sort of started climbing up the Gartner hype cycle. Um, I was, uh, like I said, I, you know, I've been in software development for a long time. And uh, before that, I was a professional musician, which is to say I waited on tables and played guitar at night. But um, I was super serious about it. My undergrad is from Berkeley and, you know, the music school, not the right. uh, California school. So so, um, and now I talk about value all the time. So the, the three big threads of my last, I don't know, 30 or 40 years are all kind of coming together now. I think, I think my current uptick in interest was spawned by all the excitement around NFTs. Cause that kind of clicked in with my art background. Sure. And then it was just like, oh, I really, I really need to pay attention to this. Prior to that, there was there's so much like religious fervor around the space that it's hard to take seriously as, as the technology, my technology brain, it's hard to take seriously. But then when the art stuff clicked in, I was like, Hmm, this could smart contracts could really solve a problem that existed for me as a musician in the nineties. And so then I, I really perked up and I was like, wow, you know, there, there might be a lot of BS flying around, but there were enough things that were kind of pulling together and oh by the way it's not going away like i mean how old is bitcoin like 10 or 11 so uh, yeah. yeah so it's it's not like it disappeared so yeah and so now i was like all right i gotta drill into this and separate the bs from the reality yeah how's that been going <laughs> it's really hard you're one of the yeah. few people who is willing to actually answer a question you know most people are it's funny. I, I noticed different personalities in the the different groups of people. You know, the different like the Bitcoin maxis versus like Ethereum people, and um, right. it, there's a, a definitely a different tone in each one of the communities. Uh, so you know, whatever. I try and I try and have a thick skin when people just like you know. <laughs> call me a boomer or an idiot or like lazy or something for asking a question instead of reading like 10,000 pages of, of, you know, Bible of whatever the coin is. Um, yeah. And, and the, so it's, it's hard. It's, I don't think there are a lot of people, I haven't been able to find a lot of people who 
talk about it in a real practical way. You know, like you can, like I could ask a question like, well, exactly how does this, for example, the sort of trustless, everybody's banging on about trustless. It's like, well, you're, you're still trusting tons of people, tons of people. And would you rather trust a bunch of people who, you know, in Eastern Europe, who you don't know what their deal is or even what laws they're operating under? Or would you rather trust, you know, the board of directors at Bank of America? And it's like, well, probably Bank of America. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. there's, you know, so for example, I, I asked online the other day, how many Bitcoin miners are there? And I didn't get an answer. It's like, what if there's only two? Right. And I know there are more than two, but what if there are only two? How many are there? It kind of matters how many there are. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole basically industry of uh, people that'll do on-chain investigations of, you know, how many nodes are there, what's going on in the world. And I mean, it's it's a whole highly technical space of just just to find out information like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> there's definitely a culture of, you know, go read the white paper and come back when you have real questions. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I try to be a place where people can uh, come and ask questions. I, I believe there's no dumb questions. So uh, if anybody's listening to this and has a question about crypto, DeFi, blockchain or whatever, you can always email me. I have a telegram group. You can, hit me up. I'm always happy to field those types of questions. Cool. Um, but yeah, so you, you mentioned that, you know, your past 30, 40 years, you, you've shifted to this idea of value and thinking about value. Mm -hmm. um, now, blockchain is interesting to me because it's mainly useful for distributing rewards to people who do good things on the network. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, you know, rewards and the value of that and the economic incentives there. Uh, I think how you look at that is either you're getting paid for doing the work, which could come from like an hourly billing type of perspective. What am I getting for this effort I'm putting in? Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's a lot more to it. So I'm curious if you could go into more detail about how you think about value generally and maybe yeah. with blockchain specifically. Yeah. So to me, value, value is a widely misunderstood term or misused term. And in my coaching, I use it in a very specific way. So, and in contrast to cost and price, there's cost, price, and value. So if you're, if you're, a, if we imagine yourself as a seller, you're selling something, uh, you're going to sell it at a price. That's the announced amount of money that the thing will cost someone to buy. So, you know, whatever, it's $35 for this lamp or it's, um, you know, whatever, it's $10,000 a month for this advisory retainer, whatever it is. It's a price that you announce to the market and you say, this is how much this thing is. The cost, that, that's sort of in the middle. The price is in the middle of cost and value. Your cost better be less, better be lower than the price or you're going to lose money on every sale. And you can't do that for very long unless you're sustaining it with some other way. And the value to the buyer needs to be higher than the price. Otherwise, they won't buy it. So, okay. yeah, so there's a there's this. Uh, so, so it goes without saying, I suppose, that the cost needs to be lower than the value. So you've got your cost to produce and deliver the good or service. And on the other end, you've got the, the value, the benefit that the buyer perceives they will get from purchasing this offering. And then the right. price can be anywhere in between pretty much. 
So as long as the price is in between those two numbers, then you're in good shape. Now, the thing that really hangs people up about value is, especially when they're billing by the hour, but just in general, people imagine that there's that value is an objective property of an object, a thing, a service. Mm-hmm. It's like objectively worth this much money. And usually people who talk like that are talking in macroeconomic terms. And what they really mean is that, you know, this lamp for $35, this lamp will surely sell to someone. Sure. But in a situation where you are, you know, the, the kind of people I coach are running like independent consultancies and they have, they don't have, it's not mass market. They don't have hundreds of thousands of buyers. They have like maybe 10 clients a year. And in, in each case, so, so it becomes much more obvious than in the microeconomic sense value is how much it's worth to the person. You know, it's like, it's like, how much is it worth to me for this lamp? It's like, well, I don't need a lamp. So it's not worth anything. It's it, it, the price is $35 and maybe it costs 10 or $20 to produce or less or whatever. But if I don't want it, it's worthless. Right. In the macro, that's not true. But in the micro to me, value is totally in the eye of the beholder. You know, it's like, it's this subjective thing where, you know, again, it, it might be true that a 1975 Mustang in decent condition is worth $2,000, but I don't want one. So it's not worth $2,000 to me. Mm-hmm. So is it really worth $2,000? And the, the uh, language, at least in English, the language around price is, uh, it's confusing because it's like people will say, oh, no, you know, you look it up online. How much is 1976 Mustang worth? It's like, oh, it's a blue book value, $2,000. That's how much it is worth. But that's not actually true. It's not, is it worth? It's highly likely to sell to somebody for $2,000. But right. if it was worth $2,000, then literally anyone who encountered that would, would say, here's my $2,000. Like, every, like everyone who had $2,000 would buy it, which obviously is not true. Right. So probably more than you were asking for, but value to just to summarize value is a subjective perception in the mind of a potential buyer about the most money that they would spend for a given thing. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good summary. Um, for you mentioned like, you know, buying a Mustang or whatever, right. If you're buying it most of the time, what you're buying is not just a hunk of metal and gasoline. It's a feeling or, you know, access to a community of other people that have the same interest, mm-hmm. um, clout or what, status. What yeah. Mm-hmm. Status. Yeah. Um, so I think that's true also in, in crypto where, you know, if you can prove that you own however many Bitcoin or, uh, you know, if you have a yeah, uh, crypto punk or something, crypto punk, board ape yacht club or whatever, mm-hmm. you can show that you spent a quarter million dollars on a picture <laughs> right. uh, that buys you access to a community in a way that not having that uh, isn't, it's not yeah. a thing. So, right. so yeah, right. it's just the, the picture of a monkey is not, it's not worth that much. Right. right. And th- this is why the, the right click save people don't get it. It's like, no, you don't get it. Like, like this is a, it's a status symbol. It's as simple right. as that. It's like, it's bragging rights. Yep. And, and like you said, it could be access to a group of people who you want to be one of. 
Right. So, you know, yeah, it's uh, Seth Godin actually wrote a, who I, who I'm a big, huge fan of wrote an article recently, kind of like anti NFT. And I, I have always in the past found that when I disagree with him, I eventually find out that I was wrong or misunderstood. So it's hard for me to disagree with this particular post, but I really feel like he's missing the boat on this. At the same time, he gets all of this stuff. Like he understands status and he under he understands that. Hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure what his argument against it is, although I, I can imagine a couple of things. One of them was the energy thing, but that that's a separate discussion. Uh, the The main thing, I think, I think he's got a, I don't, he didn't say this in the article, but I agree that this might be an interesting point, which is that creating something that is scarce in a medium where it's not required, you know what I mean? Like where there's, there's, you know, zero marginal cost for everything digital. Creating scarcity there is like, oh my God, are you crazy? You're recreating the old world. You know, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like why create scarcity and like just artificially create scarcity. So if you like artificially created scarcity in the physical world, people would storm the gates. Like, like if, if you were, for example, if you, you know, if you're the municipal water supply and you're like, oh, sorry, uh, we're shutting off the water and um, we're going to value price it now. How much do you want for clean water? (laughs) So they're putting a lock on a door and then selling you the key. That's artificial scarcity. You know, when, when the, when the thing is abundant. So JPEGs are abundant. Memes are abundant. Why would you, why would you make them? You know, why, why introduce this idea of scarcity in a space where it doesn't need to exist? It's like, it's, it's imagine if water was just totally free, you know, it's not hundred percent free where I live and it's, it's definitely not free everywhere in the world. But if it was, if it, you know, if it, if it was just totally free and you could just put your hand out the door and like scoop up clean water and someone came along and is like, Oh, we're going to have this, you know, scarce water. It's like, why, you know, there's other things that are already scarce that you can use to signal your status. Like why, why create a new one? And maybe you've got an answer to that. Um, I mean, I don't know that I have a great answer here, but I can, I can wax philosophical a little bit. (laughs) Uh, so when you think about like water, it's, it's fungible, um, which if you're not familiar with it, I know you are, but the, fungibility is the idea that if I have a dollar and you have a dollar and you, you know, tear yours a little bit and scuff it up, they're still worth the same. Um, with NFTs, it stands for non fungible token. So the, the idea that I own this picture, it's the only one. Yeah. There can be copycats and mimics, but I can prove that I own the first one and I own, you know, this one and it came from the right place and it's mine. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not that I own that picture. It's that I, I've, I've bought sole ownership of a thing. <clears throat> so, I mean, that, that is in a way manufactured scarcity, but somebody had to put in the effort to make that image. And if you like their art and you want to support them in traditional web, if they put it up and say, does anybody want to tip me 10 bucks for this picture that yeah. I made? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. Um, right. So it's a way to capitalize on something that you create, whether it's art or, uh, you know, a one of 100 ticket to an event right. 
or whatever, right? There's there's any number of ways to do that. Yeah, and I see it like you. I'm kind of like trying to imagine what Seth is thinking um, because because I know he understands all of this stuff, and yet he's against it. And I'm like, huh, that's that's surprising because I agree with like 95% of the stuff the guy says. So so I've got a little, but but I generally agree with what you just said, which is right. like, look, the the physical world is becoming more and more digital. Our lives are in, you know, more and more uh, lived in the computer or VR or phones or wherever. So why wouldn't people who want to uh, project status, high status, why wouldn't there, you know, eventually come to that space? Like, right. how do you do that now? Like how, how online, how do you, how do you, um, how do you project high status? And the, the only thing I can think of is like, my son's a, a big uh, into Valorant and he spends tons of money. Like all of his birthday money is going to go to skins because it's like, you know, he wants to look cool. You know, he wants to be like, oh, man, he's the only one with the blobbity blob mesh knife skin or whatever. Right. And he's he's like, that's all they like. He asked for his birthday. Like, that's what he wants. He doesn't want any physical stuff. He doesn't want like a skateboard or something. Right. You know, so it's like, all right, if that's what you want, that's what you want. And And it's, you know, how different is that from when I was his age and I wanted like a Barracuda jacket or like a CB jacket? It's There's no difference. In my opinion, there's no difference. Yeah, it's just moving the community online. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I actually see uh, cryptocurrency as kind of like the in-game currency for the web, which to me is a really, it, it's a, a fundamental, it's a, like a missing fundamental. So like, I think they're, I think crypto, just broadly speaking, crypto, this wave of crypto is potentially bringing two really interesting new primitives to the web one being a currency you know a, a right. inherently digital currency i think is really really interesting it's like you know like i said in-game currency for the internet that's right. pretty cool and the other thing is the wallet concept where the probably built into the to all browsers or, or os's would be this private key that you that just everything is encrypted by so and you can use it for signing of course so i mean uh, public private key encryption has been around for like since the 60s or something the 70s i think rsa i think it was the 70s yeah. and but it's never i'm like how could this not catch on like i understand that it's really really arcane and confusing but it blows my mind that it's not more widely used by like the end consumer and that, that yeah. no one's ever found a way to make it convenient enough for that to work. And wallets right. could be that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So from a programming standpoint, the idea of the idea of being able to build something online, let's just say an e-commerce website sure. where you sell sneakers or whatever. The idea of being able to, as the person who's going to code that, actually write that app, not having to worry about any user login any authentication, none of that. And just be like, I mean, it takes away probably half of the effort and the really complicated half. And then, uh, and then having money right there built in is it's like jaw dropping. Yeah. It's, yeah. From a, from a, from the standpoint of like who would be capable of building an app, it's like, it'll 10 X the number of people that would be capable of building an app. Right. 
right. which is really interesting because then then who knows what will happen? I mean, like the 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 nichiness of the web presumably would have like a Cambrian explosion of new apps and websites and things like that. Yeah. And I mean, your point about the wallet, I think that's key because that's how you, you own the status that you buy or you create, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. today, if you want to go walk into a brand new group of people, uh, you need to you know, bring some status with you so that you're respected. Um, or if you've already built up some status within a group, it, that's not really portable, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, granted, a, certain groups aren't going to really respect or appreciate the status that you bring. Right. Just because you have a board ape, whatever, doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it might pin you as a loser, right? right. Like, oh, exactly. you're techno bro, billionaire jerk. Right, right. 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 Um, but that is still a status. And mm-hmm. with the wallet, you can carry that around with you. You don't have to go create a brand new Jonathan Stark identity on mm-hmm. Facebook or you know wherever. You just mm-hmm. say, I am Jonathan Stark and here's what I own and who I am and what I've done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it's almost even simpler than that. Because like, so for example, I, I ran a... Um, an early like iPhone one era when the very first iPhone came out, it didn't have like, didn't have cut and paste, but also there was no way to share photos. And so I built a photo sharing application where you could email photos, but there was no way to like post them anywhere. So I created something where you could email a photo to basically a web server and it would post it. Like at the time, Flickr was the most popular photo sharing, but there's no way to do it on the iPhone. So that community is not huge, but I mean, I, I think there are a thousand or a couple thousand people in it. I'm not, I don't remember, but it was enough that it got past that Dunbar's 150 people number. And I didn't know who anybody was really. And I didn't have, and the authentication was really basic, not basic off like technically, but like it was very simple. It wasn't like complicated. And, uh, and so, of course, photo sharing site eventually <laughs> turned into, you know, not 4chan, but it, it got it started to get racy and and people and it also started to get political. And then people would say and, I, and, and someone said, oh, somebody hacked my account or something happened where um, somebody posted a really dis, let's just say distasteful photo and uh, and then said it wasn't them. And I was like, wait a second. And I, and I felt like I kind of knew these people, but I only knew them from this website. And, you know, I didn't, right. you know, who knows? They could have been like, it, it never occurred to me until then. This is going to sound stupid to say now that someone could have been faking from the beginning, or it wasn't really this person that was taking selfies that were just, they were posting someone else's pictures. It never right. even occurred to me. And so just merely the signing aspect of the wallet to me is like, would have solved that problem. And when you really start thinking about that problem, when someone says, when someone says to you as a site owner, Hey, someone hacked my account. Could you reset the password and send it to me? Or, you know, could, could you send the password reset to this new email address? It's like, well, how do I, I don't know which person's lying, you know, and it's, and it's unsolvable. (laughs) Right. So, so the signature thing, is gigantic. It's, right. it's gigantic. So if, if you had that, that one, 
it's just like a new primitive for the web. Like if you had that one primitive, like tagging was a new thing when I guess delicious came around and it was like, wow, I don't have to like put these in a hierarchy. Like everything can be in like multiple folders, air quotes. It, it was like, wow, that's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. And then, you know, upvoting, I think dig was the first one that had like upvoting. Maybe it was Reddit. I don't know. And, and like all of that, all of that's like, Oh, cool. That's like a new normal now stories now with Instagram. It's like a new normal. It's like a, a, it's like a primitive. It's like, here's a thing that we do on the internet and having a wallet that would be unreal. Like if just log in with wallet, if that was, if that was a thing, it would be game changing. I agree. I think there's still an issue here with, with blockchain where getting the real world and the blockchain in sync is a hard problem. Um, so I can take a picture of you mm-hmm. and create an NFT and make it my profile. Right. right? Um, and unless, you know, the powers that be get involved and, uh, you know, come to a conclusion that I did that fraudulently and, you know, transfer the NFT to you or something like that. Um, that's a hard, <laughs> that's a hard thing to solve. Well, who's even the powers that be? <laughs> right, exactly. Oh. I mean, <laughs> it's the network, right? Which is kind of, it's hard to wrap your head around that. Well, here's, a, this is a, this is an ongoing question that I've had in my mind. Like when, when I think, I think it was Bitcoin. Somebody ran some attack and created like, you know, a quadrillion Bitcoin or whatever. And they hard forked the chain, I guess. Yep. Who decided that? Like, how do they even communicate? Right. Like, who, like, it was the network, but like, how? In right. a Discord channel? Like, how do they even know who's on the network? Well, so the thing with hard forks is they're, they happen off chain. So uh, if you're, if you're going to make a decision that modifies the existing, um, the, the existing blockchain and, you know, goes through a governance process uh, or, you know, uploads a new contract or any number of things. That all happens on chain. So you you might have control over the thing if you're just creating it, but you can also give the control of, well, I guess you are giving control of the truthfulness of any statement you make to the network. Um, but if you're going to on a normal day, on a normal day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a hard fork or anything else where you're creating a new blockchain, because that's basically what a hard fork is. Mm-hmm. You're, you're saying I'm going to make a copy of this, do whatever I want to it and spin up a new blockchain. But who, and, when you say, when you say you would do that, who like one miner? Yeah. Um, okay. So one miner is like, I'm hard forking. Yeah. Okay. And then that, and then, what happens next that gets right. So that's where you get disputes in the community. Mm. Um, it, when there's two possible futures, uh, you can have people saying, Oh, we're going to go with this one or that one. But where are they saying this on Twitter? <laughs> no. So, uh, that's a good question actually. So the, the idea is the, the consensus algorithm, mm-hmm. um, which is the, Proof of work is the one where we're talking about energy consumption. You know, you're, right, you're right, right. burning electricity to fig- to solve a math problem to mm-hmm. say, 
I verify this is true. I won the race. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, proof of stake is, uh, the one that's probably the second most popular where, mm -hmm. uh, you say, I own this much of the native currency, Ethereum or whatever. Uh, and so my vote is that this is truth. And then whatever the majority of the stake agrees on is true. Okay. So, so a couple let's see here's, and here's where people normally would just tell me to go read the white paper, <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like it should be a simple answer. I feel like the answer must be inside your head. So if let's say, okay, I'm running a node hmm. mining Bitcoin and I go, you know what? Um, I'm going to hard fork for some reason. Some, I, I saw something somewhere on Twitter. I don't think I saw it in the incoming blocks that need to be validated. Sure. I think I, I saw something on Twitter, a news item somewhere mm -hmm. about somebody running a 51% attack or something. Right. And I go, oh, that's not cool. I'm going to ignore. Like, it doesn't feel normal that you'd have that much control over what your, your software is doing on the blockchain. But right. let's just say you're manually in there, like validating each block. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, and you say, yeah, this validated, but it's based on some hack. Right. So I'm going to throw it away. So, okay. So let's, is that in this, this is all like kind of true. Like I can, how would I yeah. know to throw away that block? I'm just sitting in my room. I'm probably not even looking at the computer. Am I like, it's just running. Right. Yeah. So, so this is all just on the computer. This isn't something where you're manually intervening to say okay. this, what I think is true or not. Um, it is, um, it's basically where your computer is running mm -hmm. and um, as it's running, mm -hmm. it is receiving blocks that are broadcast from the network. Right. So somebody else's node said, I produced this block. Here you go, everybody. Um, and then there are rules that are baked into the code that you're running on your computer that say, is this valid or not? So as a malicious actor, I can produce something that's a lie and broadcast it. And if it doesn't match your rules, you're just going to throw it out anyway. Even okay. if you're yeah, yeah. doing that attack owns 51% or whatever. But wait a second. So let's, let's, cause there's a difference between it. when you say validating a block, that's, yeah. is there anything to validating besides solving the math problem or is that it? Um, so solving, okay. So, so there's, there's multiple steps here. So mm -hmm. the solving the math problem in proof of work is something that you do, uh, upfront for the privilege of okay. the block. Okay. And then when you produce the block, you broadcast it to the network and people are like, the hash doesn't match. Right. Okay. Right. So either, you know, you could have tried to change the history and right. lie about what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. and that's not allowed. Right. Um, or you could have tried to make a claim that wasn't verifiable because you didn't have the right signature. That's not allowed. Right. Um, but so cryptographically, it's going to get thrown out. Exactly. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about, though. Okay. Okay. I'm talking about someone, and maybe I misunderstand what happened when they had to hard fork, but but my understanding was that they did something that where the hashes did match, but they but they like broke the rules, but it right. wasn't cryptographically. Is that accurate? Um 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Uh, anyway, yeah, yes. So if you follow the rules and you happen to take control of 51% of the network, which is possible on proof of work as well, you just mm -hmm. have to have so many computers to mm -hmm. win. But we don't know how many. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, I mean, but we think it's a lot. You, you could do math to figure out. And I, I'm okay. pretty confident people have done that. I just haven't put in the effort myself. Yeah, and then this next question is how many people own, how many computers does one person own? Right, right. Yeah, that's true. But anyway. Um, yeah, so uh, back to the question. With, yeah. if, you're, if you're doing a 51% attack or, or a hard fork or whatever, which are two different things, yep. um, you're, you're basically making a claim that the rules of the blockchain allow um, but mm -hmm. benefits you in some right. way, right? Uh, and if you if you control enough of the network, then you can do those sorts of things to change the rules and benefit you further. And the the existing nodes that are behaving appropriately will follow you as long as you're making valid claims, because you've got the longest chain, right? Okay, and they're all. The, sign, the signatures all map like they're they're valid. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. So so basically, uh, if I am a malicious actor, or or mm -hmm. even you know, even if I just want to change something, so I do a hard fork just to say I I don't want that transaction. I want this transaction. If I could get everybody to follow me on that mm -hmm. fork, then yeah. we can go down that route. Right, um, but a hard fork can also be basically just spinning up an entirely new network and talking mm -hmm. to people offline and saying, "Hey, I created Bitcoin two over here. Come, you know, change the URL to this or something." Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so. So is that what Bitcoin did with the the hard fork? I think yeah, they've so only had one. The, so there was a hard fork with Bitcoin uh, to Bitcoin Cash, where. Anyway, mm -hmm. There was a there was a dispute over like the size of the blocks. Yeah, yeah, not that. I'm talking about I'm talking about someone actually created like a massive amount, like more than 21 million Bitcoin or billion, whatever it's supposed to be. Hmm. And and they were like, no, we need to roll that back. Basically, okay, it's obviously um, wrong. Even though all the hashes were fine, it, it's obviously wrong. <laughs> so right. It's, right. Uh, I'm I'm not familiar with that case, so I can't speak for certain. Okay. But my and I might my, have it wrong too. No, that's okay. That my understanding is that the rules of Bitcoin would not validate something like that. Um, you would think, yeah. <laughs> right. So it depends a lot on how things are set up. But mm. there's always attack vectors for, mm -hmm. for things like this. Um, the thing about crypto and or blockchains is that you, you expect there to be malicious actors. Right. And you build the system to be such that, you know, as long as it's less than 51% of you know, whatever you quantify as um, that, that power, mm. uh, it shouldn't be accepted. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of like the biggest bug bounty of all time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's like a live fire environment, which I, 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 as a software developer, I'm like, yeah, that's like totally great. It's really right. good. Yeah. Um, so okay. Yeah. So 
the the thing, and you did mention quickly in passing there that that people would communicate offline or like out of band. Like it's not something that happens through the mining software. There's like a chat room in the mining software. People are like, hey, something weird's going on. Um, I mean, it probably wouldn't even be in the mining software. Just, right. you know, you can organize with your neighbor and talk about what you're going to do and combine your efforts and collude and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that can happen where, uh, anyway, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to go too deep on this, but sorry. Yeah. The, no, it's okay. The, the idea of proof of work where, you know, it's very energy inefficient, you've got proof of stake that has its own issues, um, which the, the Koinos team that I'm doing this kind of alongside, mm-hmm. uh, they, they're doing proof of burn, which is basically instead of showing that you have money, you destroy the money and then you earn the money back. Um, anyway, it's kind of like yeah. spending and it's, it's like buying a bond basically. And then you, you get a return. Hmm. Um, and the reason that they went with that is because proof of stake is uh, they, they were on a project before this that was built with proof of stake. And the there was a malicious actor that got the centralized exchanges, Coinbase, mm-hmm. um, you know, all those, or yeah. at least a few of them, to collude, right? Mm-hmm. And basically said, let's take your stake, which is owned by the people who you represent, mm-hmm. but you have the keys, so you right. have <laughs> So let's combine our power here and then we'll do whatever we want. Right. They successfully pulled off a 51% attack through that. Mm. That means so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, Well, so that, that might bring us to another topic that you and I have been talking about on email and and Twitter is, is all the, all the, okay. So a big part of big excitement about, I, I, I want to say crypto, even though I know that that's like not exactly the right term. It's kind of like when people talked about HTML5, it was like everything. Right. Um, but it's like all of this stuff, like DeFi, NFTs, uh, cryptocurrency, whatever, smart contracts, all of this stuff, Web3, all of this stuff. It's like, oh, it's decentralized. And I'm like, well, the web's decentralized. Right. But it's consolidated around some convenience, some, some, some companies that provide a massive amount of convenience like Facebook, Google, Amazon, and so forth. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of funny to me that people would say like, Oh, finally the web will be decentralized. And it's like, it's, it's decentralized. It is, it still is. Right. You know, HTTP, RSS, SMTP, those three protocols run my entire business. So, so to, but you have to run a server. Right? right. So it's like, finally, the web's going to be decentralized. And it's like, well, it's already decentralized. It's just that people would rather have the convenience of what Facebook offers than run their own server. Right. So I don't see how that, I don't know why that would change yeah. with anything new. I don't think right. people are suddenly going to want to run their own node. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so, so you look at like the centralized exchanges, mm-hmm. Binance and whatever, yeah. and they, they're, I mean, it's exactly the same thing right? because it's convenient yeah. and people run that centralized option because it's convenient. Right. Um, my, and then whenever, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, that's okay. Uh, my, my thoughts on this is that there are ways to build convenient decentralized 
platforms on blockchain. Um, where a blockchain is, it's a platform of kind of a two-sided market of users and node providers or whatever, right? Um, however you want to think about that. Mm -hmm. And we're, we lean towards centralized options where even like your wallet, if you're using MetaMask, talks to like three different APIs that are, you know, specific. Spending whatever they want. <laughs> right, exactly. Specific centralized uh, yeah. gateways into a decentralized environment. Um, right. There are ways to but, build. But it's like last mile. It, yes, exactly. But yeah. the, the key is that it is possible to build those decent those in a decentralized way right uh and that is the the preferred answer the the existing but how like how would you build it in a decentralized way if uh, if this right. if it's if if a wallet's going to work on mobile mm -hmm. which it has to it's a non-starter if it doesn't work on mobile so like how would you do that right so the wallets that we have today are just a ui that's calling an api right mm -hmm. uh you can build, I mean, with Ethereum, this would be really hard because it takes a lot of computer power to, to run an Ethereum node. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're building a blockchain like Coinos, I'm trying not to shill too much here. <laughs> uh, you're, you're trying to build a, uh, um, a blockchain that is lightweight enough that you can run it in smaller environments. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you do that, then you can basically make like a web app that when you visit the URL, it downloads and runs a node in your browser. Yeah, that would be the way to do it, right? Yeah. But and then you have a P2P connection to the network mm -hmm. and not just, you know, I am <laughs> somebody who is talking to an API that is a node somewhere off in the cloud. Right, right. But like, but like you said, like, I think Ethereum is like a terabyte. So that's not happening. So it would need to be some kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of things you can do for scalability without harming the cryptographic verifiability of the chain. Well, this is, this is why to me, I don't, I care about the wallet independently from anything blockchain. Right. I think the wallet itself. So mm -hmm. like the excitement about, web3 and nfts and and maybe it feels like when email came out right now it feels like when email came out right. and but right before email crossed the chasm into the mainstream so it feels yeah. like it feels like that point in time where it was like oh cool you know like nerds can we can send nerdy stuff back to each it was like and it was like mailing lists and stuff it was it almost didn't i don't even remember it being like person to person even though you could and and then I remember specifically remember, I think it was in the, in the, it would have been in the late nineties, you know, like a, a 80 year old grandma hearing like, you know, it was like a fam friend of the family was like, Oh, you do computer stuff. Yeah. Can you set up my email for me? I was like, what? <laughs> it was like, I was like, what are you talking about? I just could, it was like, I couldn't believe she even knew that word. It wasn't a thing that anybody talked about in, in general population yeah and she's like well my daughter said she could email me pictures of the grandkids and i was like oh okay and i was like wow I, I, that, at that moment i was like email's gonna be gigantic it's gonna be huge right so i could imagine all of this excitement 
getting some kind of critical mass so that so that grandma, who, who's not going to run a node any more than she would have run an email server, right? Grandma's going to be like, oh, I guess I need a wallet now. Like this is the other new thing I don't understand, but that's fine because right. I don't understand any other stuff either. Nothing against grandma, but you know, it, just as a as a point, like there are going to be. If any of this is going to go mass market, it needs to be like dead simple, and and people are going to look to their peers to be like, should I trust this? Is this fake, or should I trust it? And their friends are going to say, no, 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 it's fine. Right. And they'll say, okay, and they'll install a wallet. Mm-hmm. And if they just have that private key in some in some kind of simple way for private keys to not get lost, because that's a whole nother. Right. There needs to be a UX there. That's it. Seems to be getting a little better, but it's still pretty rough. That alone, never mind blockchain, that would be completely game-changing in terms of uh, just interacting on the web. It would be amazing. Yeah. And if you, yeah. Anyway, so I, I think, and and that that doesn't need a terabyte of memory is where I was going with that, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, you're right. If you take the idea of a wallet and divorce it from blockchain, right? yeah. now you just have you know, an app you install on your phone, it stores the data on your phone, you can grant access to the data or send the data, however you want to consider that to whoever mm-hmm. you want. Right. Um, that's like, that's cool. But when you think about malicious actors in that mm-hmm. now there's no, there's no proof. Like just because you have the private key is only interesting if you can publicly verify what lies behind the, the public key, right? Yeah. So now we're getting to blockchains already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you could, I mean, if I had to use, I'm thinking about this as someone who, if, let's say I run a, a, a website with right. a community, like a forum or something. And and part of the, the, um, the code on my side, some library on my side, takes the encrypted communications from Alice and decrypts it with a public key. And it's like, well, I guess it was Alice. Sure. You know, and then I can, I can reliably say that Alice said this mm-hmm. and didn't, didn't, you know, unless somebody got a private key, then yeah, then it was her. And I could store that in a regular database. Sure. But it just proved to me that it wasn't someone who, um, I mean, I feel like that's more secure than, than, storing Alice's password. Plus I can store the stuff encrypted. Right. And then just decrypt it on the fly when people go to view it. Sure. So I, you know, but yes, you're right. It does, it does get more interesting when you add blockchain to the mix because then you've got the permanent, the right. permanence. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, so what you're describing is basically like that would work if I wanted to have your forum with my data there and I can verify I'm right. I'm, this identity, but it's not portable. I, yeah, I, I get where you're going. Exactly, it's not portable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, blockchain is how you get that portability, in addition to owning it and you know verifying it with anywhere. If you want to create a new website, you can go and use the same identity you have already been using. Mm-hmm. Uh, carry everything with you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But if people really cared about that, Facebook would, wouldn't be a thing. You know, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't think the portability thing, anyone's going to care. I, I, I don't think the mass market's going to care about that. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, for certain things, you're probably right. I think when we talk about portability, if it's just the fact that you have a board ape 
<laughs> you want to drag that around to different communities. Oh, I think for the NFTs, it makes a lot of sense. But I'm just talking about like, I'm imagining a, like a, a decentralized Twitter, you know, like who cares? Like no one, you know, it's like you're either on the platform or you're not on the platform. Like if everybody has to write their own client. Right. Okay. Actually, let me, let me, let me think about that for a second because before Twitter shut down their API to third party apps, cause that was fun. Like that was cool when they had, when they did have, it was just like a whole bunch of third party Twitter apps. It was so cool mm-hmm. and it was easy to make them. And then they were just like, yeah, F you all. Thanks. Thanks for, for growing the network. And I'll see you later. Right. And, uh, so maybe, maybe, I mean, certainly anybody who's been booted off of a platform would be thinking like, oh yeah, it should be portable. Right. But, okay. But for NFTs, I do think NFTs is a really cool application because, because of the, the gamification piece of it. It's like, I can imagine, I can imagine scenarios where people are, it's just like in-game currency, but you could take it anywhere to any game. Right which is fun. Like that to me, that makes sense. I, and I think gamers are the perfect community to like really be into that. It seems yeah. like. I, I agree The there are markets that make sense for kind of the, the initial launch of mass adoption. Mm-hmm. I think gamers are, are right up there. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. So <laughs> I, I come back to the, the portability idea. And it's, it's tricky to say what people are going to care about Sure. uh, at this point, because Mm -hmm. it's still like only 0.5% of the world's population has done anything on a blockchain. (laughs) Uh, There's, I mean, there's a larger percentage that are like passively interested, but you know, or at least aware of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you look at the uh, other other platforms with similar promises, you look at signal messaging and mm-hmm. um, things where privacy um, or censorship resistant solutions, um, anything with those kinds of promises, mm-hmm. there is demand larger than the current blockchain space. Will it ever reach 100% of the world's population? That's, I mean, no. <laughs> Will it reach 99%? You know, th- there's a... Uh, there's a big question mark there, but I think even if it only grows to 10%, 20% of the world that cares about these things, that's still a long way up from where we are right now. Oh yeah, I agree. But l- let me just, let me just get you to clarify something. So yeah. to me, privacy and portability are not the two, not the two same thing. It's- I agree. Okay. Okay. So like signal, I haven't used signal. I'm not familiar with it really. I thought it was like end to end encrypted chat. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So, so how is it portable? Is not portable, right? It, it's not portable. Okay. Correct. Okay. Uh, so, so it's it's kind of a. <laughs> thanks for drawing that distinction. So yeah, Signal is uh, it's privacy, which you can build. Uh, <laughs> so the way I think about messaging apps is, mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to put all of your messages on a blockchain. You could, but why would you? What's the point? Yeah. Um, so if you are, if you want to message somebody directly, all you need is an encrypted peer to peer connection, right? Managing those connections and verifying that the person you're talking to is the right person is hard. Blockchain helps to solve some of that. 
blockchain or the keys? How does blockchain help with that? So it's the keys, but it's the keys that are publicly verifiable. If you say, this is my public key, great. Mm -hmm. no, I'm talking to the person with that public key, right. but I don't know who that is. If you have a public portable identity associated with that public key, gotcha. Okay. now I can find you and I can start a conversation with you that is peer-to-peer -peer and encrypted right. without having to be just like, well, I hope this is the right person. I got it. Okay. So it's like, so right. You've got this, it's still, it's still anonymous basically without, without blockchain, it's still anonymous or it right. is anonymous. Yeah. And so it's kind of like if someone messaged me and was like, Hey, do you want to come on a podcast? And I'd be like, who's this dude? And I'd go to their Twitter and see if they're crazy. Right. right. So, right. So it's kind of like the Twitter, yeah. you know, or it's like the history of stuff that they did do in public. Mm -hmm. the, the person with the private key who's, who wants to connect with me and signal is the same person who did all of this stuff on the blockchain. Exactly. Is that kind of what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. Cause that, so like, like they're, you could call it their resume or their history or their behavior, or their public behavior or, or something is like, okay, that, that makes sense. So it's kind of like their identity is on the blockchain, but the, the, their signature is in the wallet. Exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah. I see that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think messaging is just one thing that benefits from blockchain, even if you wouldn't put the messages on there, <clears throat> but it, mm -hmm. it's that kind of combination of, what blockchain enables that gets me excited about the space. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the one thing that's one thing that is, um, one thing that's different about all of this stuff that, that wasn't true with the early web and email was that it was really obvious what the applications of the early web and email might be really obvious. It was just like, I could use this right now immediately. I want, I'm never going to get off this. Right. I'm going to be on this all the time. Like at the time I was a musician and the first time I saw a web page and my friend explained to me, he's like this, I was like, it looks like a word document. What's the big deal? And he's like, it's not on my computer. And he like pointed to the phone line and he's like, it's from someone else's computer. I'm connected to someone else's computer, right. which was like jaw dropping. It sounds stupid huh. now. But in, you know, the mid nineties or early nineties, it was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was like, can you put sound files on there? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, radio's dead. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it took 20 years, but I would call radio dead at this point. But anyway, the, the, the applications are so not obvious. Right. Um, and, and it's like, and it's like to, to get back to the kind of evangelism on Twitter, right. it's like, you just don't get it. And I'm like, well, it, if it's not obvious what the application, like the currency thing is, it's an obvious application. Sure. So, um, and it, that's, it, <laughs> that's the problem is because the obvious application of currency makes it harder for people to get in. Just like, okay, now it's everything I don't understand about technology combined with everything I don't understand about money. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I know, I know a number of normos that are like playing around in Coinbase at least. So right. they're, they're right. You sort of, sort of get it. They don't get at all. Like, well, I shouldn't say that. I think once I've talked to a couple anyway, they understand the trade-offs of not holding their own keys and they get it and they're like, I would lose it. So right. I'd rather, I'd rather get it stolen than me lose it. Cause that would feel way worse. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, so there's, there's definitely, um, you know, there's definitely awareness. I mean, Bitcoin's a, it's a big brand. I mean, that's, For I've sure. always, I always thought Bitcoin as a currency will always be the one. I think it's almost too late for a new one. You would have to like 
correct because the brand is so strong. I, I don't right. I don't know how another one would overtake it, but I don't think it needs to be overtaken. I think there can be lots of different ones. I don't really see the reason why you need to overtake one. For sure. Um, there will, there's always, I mean, I, I think that the future is going to have multiple blockchains. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin is always going to be an asset that various people are going to say, this is something I want to hold because it's appreciating yeah. whatever. Yeah. I don't see it as a currency. I think currency is a terrible word for it anyway, but it doesn't make good money. Why it's would you want to spend money. something that's growing at 50% a year? Yeah. Yeah. It's not good money, right? Yeah. It's, it's something you hold. Right. Which is a terrible, a terrible property for a currency to have. Right. So are we going to get into the inflation deflation thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, how much time do you have? Yeah. I don't know if we want to get into that. Uh, we might have to have you back for, for another episode here. Um, oh, I've kind of lost track of time, but no, that's all right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had like four other questions I wanted to get to. Today, I, I've got time if you do. You do? All right. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I do. Rolling then. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, <clears throat> since, uh, so, so you're in business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, I'm curious, shifting topics, and we can come back to the value and everything. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. But how do you, I'm, I'm curious if you have a perspective yet. How do you mm-hmm. think about business on blockchain or, or maybe more generally in a decentralized environment? Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know how to think of it. I, my Speaking of my business specifically, I don't know how to think of it not in a decentralized environment. So, you know, I, I think I said earlier, it's like my whole business runs on HTTP, SMTP and RSS. Right. So, you know, I'm not on, I mean, I have a Facebook account. I don't go on there. I have an Instagram account. I don't go on there. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm active on Twitter, but that's just goofing around. It doesn't really support my business. Uh, LinkedIn, I don't use, like, I don't, I don't use any of the big central thing. I mean, I, I guess I use Google search and I buy stuff on Amazon, but, sure. uh, but I don't sell stuff on Amazon and I don't pay for Google ads. So I don't really use any of the big web two centralized players in a business sense. Sure. So, you know, in my business has been, I've been working remotely since 2003 or something. So the whole thing is, is, you know, on the computer, you know, and right. it's, it's, I run my own web server. I don't, I don't run my own hardware. I do pay DigitalOcean for hardware. Um, you know, I do pay for some stuff, but they're, right. they're all plug and play. I could replace any one of them in a day if I needed to, it would be a pain, but I could do it. Sure. So, cool. so everything, you know, Everything about my business is kind of decentralized and portable. I mean, like the lifeblood of my business is my email list. And, you know, I, I back that list up every month. You know, if, if my email service provider, like whatever, got uh, a ransomware attack or something, it's like I wouldn't lose that much data because it's totally portable. Like I, I, it scares me to death when I have students who are, are you know, just just posting on YouTube and like their, their whole world is YouTube and they've got, I mean, I, I've somebody just got a play button. I mean, they have a lot of subscribers and I'm like, Oh man, that's, it's like scary though. Like you don't know who those people are and you have no other, no other access to them except for YouTube. And not that he would do anything to get kicked off, but it's, he's just not, you know, it's a business account, but, um, it just feels like sharecropping to me and to have like that much, content creation like you've done that much content creation on somebody else's 
platform. Like I've, you've done that much farming and invested in the land on somebody else's property yeah. is like, it just feels very risky to me. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with using those platforms because there are a lot of people there, but I would just use them in a very um, uh, sort of ephemeral way. Mm-hmm. So just to announce stuff, broadcast stuff, do stuff that it's it's um, very simple and easy for you to do, you know, like doing a live stream on YouTube to answer questions, like no big deal. I mean, you know, it's right. not that big a deal. But all of the core content IP creation that I do, and I would recommend to anybody else who's doing things like content marketing or creating their own IP, it's like, don't have that inside of somebody else's walled garden. That's like very scary for me. Right. I yeah. mean, so that's, that's an interesting perspective because those platforms, YouTube, whatever, could be replicated on a blockchain. Um, I mean, <laughs> we're getting a little bit into, into the depths. Well, here. no, like, uh, okay. So if, if you were to do that, then you could go and, use an interface that's a lot like YouTube and own your, you know, you know who they are because it's all public on the blockchain and you can back it up and you can, you know, own the the backups of the videos. You can do that now. I mean, you could just have it on your web server, but yes, yes, you're right. Um, But having a, an accessible platform like YouTube Mm -hmm. that allows you to, go where all of the eyeballs are um but still like know who everybody is and own that list and back it up and not just be stuck in a walled garden is something that you could do with a blockchain. maybe yeah maybe i mean but so the thing about that's a, yeah i get what you're saying but and, and okay let's let's follow that out a little bit more so if, if the information that was stored on this youtube chain whatever, mm-hmm. um, block tube, let's call it right. So block tube is a chain that stores the data that you would need to drive an interface that looks kind of like YouTube. Sure. And obviously you wouldn't keep the videos there, right? You would just keep, right. you'd have to keep a ton of stuff off chain and probably just like hashes of where it is on the chain. Yeah. So basically you'd have an NFT for every video that mm-hmm. has, a URL that points to some storage of the video mm-hmm. uh, and a hash of like what the video is so that you can verify that what you're seeing is what the blockchain says it's supposed to be. Okay. Um, so the, the video, the blob file itself would be signed. Correct. Okay. So I'm sure someone at YouTube listening to this would be laughing their head off right now <laughs> <laughs> because there's, it just seems improbable that that could exist. Uh, just from a computational standpoint, I mean, processing each video and, but okay, let's just say, let's just say that could happen. Sure. Um, and then you could create, so that would be cool. I agree. And then people could make their own interfaces, you know, you probably individuals probably wouldn't do it, but a whole bunch of people who are like, Oh, I want to create a, a YouTube like interface for a specific kind of thing or have filters work in a different way or just have the layout be different or yeah. optimize for a particular thing like that would be really cool but yeah. you could, youtube could blow that out of the water simply by opening up an api right and they might even have one um i mean to some extent you even if they open up an api youtube is incentivized not to 
make their viewers and like who's on the platform and who's subscribed to you, like mm -hmm. they don't want to make that portable. Understood. Yes. But if, but if the information was easily accessible programmatically, sure. then I don't think I would care. Um, and the other thing, the other thing to get back to block or what did, we, what did I call it? Blocktube. Blocktube yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Blocktube wouldn't have anybody's email addresses on it. It would just be like these, these, um, addresses, like yeah. let's call it, let's say Ethereum addresses or something that doesn't give me what I would need as a business owner. Like I can't get in touch with a blockchain address. Well, <laughs> yes. Uh, I think it, you're, you're right today. Uh, there's a, there's a future possibility where, um, you don't need an email address anymore and mm -hmm. you don't need a phone number and you don't need a screen name. It's mm -hmm. just your address on the blockchain represents you yeah. for a number of different mediums. Sure. Um, obviously there's a lot that has to go in for people to throw away email and start using something built on a blockchain, but depending on who your audience is, right. timeline, having just the public addresses of the people who are viewing your videos might be mm -hmm. more than enough for you. Yeah, I mean, like I bought an ENS name, but it or right. is that ENS? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. a and uh, it's in theory, it's it's just unclear to me. Like the web already has all this, <laughs> like email is <laughs> already open and portable. <laughs> like it, it, a lot of times, I do find myself. So, I, I, the funny thing about the current wave of crypto news and evangelism and all that is that I, it's like, I can flip in one day reading one article, I can flip hard, hard no to hard yes. And back again, it's very, very rare that I come across something where my opinion is just like a sock in the breeze. Yeah. So, cause on the one hand, it does feel like the early email days and it does feel like there's something really fundamentally cool here. And I see myself in all these 20 somethings that are really excited about it. Cause I remember being that excited about email and the web and uh, mobile and seeing something that the older people didn't see. And so now I feel like the older person who's <laughs> not seeing the thing. Right. And in the, the, the place where I always get bogged down is having experienced coding. I'm like, yeah, but this can't work. <laughs> it's right. like, yeah. And a lot of this, a lot of the, the web is currently decentralized. Right. You know, so it's kind of like, okay, this can't work unless something really huge changes in terms of infrastructure and energy production. Sure. And, and then once in, and once that happens, it'll centralize anyway, the same way the web is centralized, or I don't know why it wouldn't. Right. Because no one's going to, you know, 99% of humans aren't going to want to run their own node. So then it's like, okay, Maybe it runs in the, there's a whole bunch of maybes, like maybe it does this, maybe it does that. Maybe we have like totally renewable green energy, a whole bunch of big, big maybes. Right. Uh, and then I feel like we're, we would get somewhere new. We, we would, if all of those maybes came to pass and we had, and everything was truly portable, uh, that would be cool. And there's this immutable public ledger that is really cool. That is like fundamentally new. Uh, but what are the right applications for it? And that'll get worked out. I'm sure. Uh, it just seems like the, it seems like, it seems like the barriers 
there are a lot of big hurdles. It just seems like there are a lot of sure. really big hurdles. Like this, it could totally not happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I think you're right. I think the, uh, the challenges ahead for blockchain are, are not small. Um, mm. And I don't honestly expect it to kill email. <laughs> uh, right. Email is always going to be around. But for a certain group of people, if you want to be able to say, I received an email and it's not just from Luke, yeah. That could be anybody. It's right. this person. I know who sent me this email out of the blue. There's no mm -hmm. more cold email. It's here I am. And, you know, I'm sending you information and mm -hmm. do it what you will. Um, yeah. Like that, that's going to appeal to a certain group of people. Uh, and so the, all of the problems that you listed for adoption, running a node, whatever, to me, those are all about accessibility. If, yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, you talk about that a lot. Like, so, like, unpack that. <laughs> uh, okay, so so let's take running a node. Running a node is something people don't want to do. But that's because they have to say, I want to run a node, download software, run something in a command line, put in wallet. At, like, there's a whole bunch to manage there. Yeah. Who wants to do that? Um, if there's profit to be made, certain people will pursue doing something like that, but mm -hmm. it's not mass adoption levels. Right. Um, if, if you want everybody to run a node, they need to just run a node without thinking about it. If I'm going to blocktube.com and it automatically runs a node in my browser, like it's a progressive web app, just yeah. spin it in the background and I don't have to think about it. I'm fine with running a node if that's the cost of using this platform that I like, but I don't want to have to think about it. Yeah, it can't be right. Yeah, so it just happen. Exactly. Accessibility to me is <laughs> is submerging the iceberg, right? I, I don't right. want to have to see and understand everything about blockchain to use Blocktube. I just want to use Blocktube. And right. if it's happening in a decentralized way, cool. Like that's maybe part of why I'm here, but ultimately I'm here to upload videos and watch other people's videos. So let's just do that. Yeah. So, so what you're bringing up is interesting where, where maybe people and probably most people using it wouldn't care that it's decentralized specifically. They might not specifically care about that, but they probably would care about the, the Cambrian explosion of apps that are built on top of block being really cool. So it's like, wow, there's like so much choice and all these different ways that I can do this. Like it was when Twitter allowed third-party clients, you could you right. find a hundred different ones and like they had different features that could do different things. And it was like, oh, this one's better for someone doing a lot of marketing across multiple accounts. And this one's better right. for personal use, or this one's better for focus or filtering yep. or whatever. Yeah. So they might, so someone might be like, oh, it's so cool. Like all these different block tube clients um, makes me want to use it more. You know, right. so, okay. But, and then for, for something like Twitter with their APIs where they allowed third-party clients, mm -hmm. that was cool. And people wanted to build clients that met their specific need. Some people made some money off of the clients that they made. And then Twitter said, that's a cool idea. People seem to like that. We're shutting yeah. off the I access and we're going to build it ourselves. Yeah, it was a douche move, right? Right. Yeah. So... That that, that piece, couldn't happen, right? Exactly, that can't happen, right? So, 
the a lot of the risks that come with a platform specialization mm-hmm. and focusing in on building for Twitter or whatever, right? A lot of the risks of that are decreased on blockchain. Yeah, super attractive to developers, no doubt. Yeah, you know, I I, I contributed to the Kickstarter for Diaspora. You know, I was like, oh, this is gonna be great. I hated Facebook back then. Right. You know, and nothing. I mean, like it still exists, but I've literally never heard of anyone using it. So you know, it's just not that. I I think the end user experience, the thing that does attract end users is like convenience and choice. So I and I agree that if BlockTube existed, there would be it would need to be extremely convenient, and it would probably produce lots of choice. So that'd probably be a cool thing. Like people would probably dig that. So let me, but this is an example is a good one, especially because it's video specific. Like who pays for it though? Like where does it live? Is it like, how does, how does the financial aspects of this work? Yeah. So blockchains have currency baked in, right? Whatever you're creating, if it's Ethereum, you've got ether. If it's Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it's coin. Mm -hmm. Um, your currency is it's the function that drives the network. If you're just creating a network that says, Hey, people run some servers and people will use this, uh, to do stuff like you could, you could do a blockchain without currency, but who Mm -hmm. would use that? Like there's no incentive. Why would I lend my computer to this network unless I'm just excited about it? There's no incentive for the, for the miner. Exactly. Or the, the person running the node, correct? Yeah. Or, or more generally, there's no incentive for adding value to the network. Um, and adding value can be more than just running a node. Yeah, we could argue that, but I, I get your point. Yeah. 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 I mean, if, if that were technically true, Linux wouldn't exist. But but keep going. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I understand that point. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> the... The incentive with Linux is I like Linux and I want to see it succeed. Mm-hmm. But not everybody contributes to Linux. It's a pretty Correct. small percentage of the population. Mm-hmm. If you build something like Linux, I mean, we're, we're getting down to a rabbit hole here, but if you build something like Linux that uh, incentivizes good behavior, whether it's you know submitting a pull request or finding bugs or making a new interface on top of Linux or whatever, mm-hmm. then more people are going to be attracted to that. You can get paid for doing the things that the network wants you to do. So, so that's where something like Blocktube, um, you can actually look, uh, Steam was a, a blockchain that the, the Coinos team used to work on. Um, and it was a social network blockchain. And it, by posting things and getting likes, basically, you mm-hmm. earn money. So by adding value to the network, it wasn't just more eyeballs saw your content, like on Twitter, mm-hmm. you got paid. So that's interesting because you're by adding value, whatever value is in the context of that network, you can earn something for it. Yeah, it creates a financial incentive on top of whatever altruistic incentive you might also have. Exactly. It could also kill the altruistic incentive as True. well. So it's like so it's like at Christmas, if I paid someone for the gifts they gave me, that would be like 
You know, it's like, wait a second. I was trying to be, you know, I was trying to be generous and right. like Linux people or whatever open source that you contribute to. It's more, it's like a greater good kind of vibe, but yeah. you know, the, the coin thing, I totally get like financial incentives are critically important, yeah. um, but they do destroy or they can have a negative impact on other types of incentives For sure. so that you end up with, you can end up, and I've definitely seen this in the space. You end up with a bunch of affiliate marketers pumping their coin. Yes. So it's, and so then all of a sudden trust is just like impossible. Cause they're like, well, of course they're pumping this. Like everything they say is a lie because they don't want to get left holding the bag. Right. So there can be, so anyway, I, but, but that's a side thing. I, I have a much more, much more, this is fun to talk about, but I'm, I'm like, who hosts the video? I upload a video to blockchain. Who hosts it? Um, you could host it yourself. And that's not <laughs> accessibility. Remember accessibility. Yeah, happening. Uh, I think that's where, that's where centralization is actually okay. Mm -hmm. um, as long as there are, uh, as long as there's a blockchain to keep the centralization in check, mm -hmm. it's okay. Because it's just hosting videos. So it goes and, on S3, let's say. Yeah, so it goes on S3. All right. Or it goes to YouTube. Mm-hmm. YouTube would have to expose an API that was compatible, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, but then YouTube could just take it down and Amazon could just take it down, right? Yes, so you're absolutely right. But the, the verifiability, the proof that what you're watching is correct mm -hmm. is still there on the blockchain. So right. even if the URL dies where it's pointing, mm -hmm. um, if you if you make the interface such that you're creating backups on multiple platforms, and yeah, it feels like BitTorrent is the model, right? Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. If, if you're, I mean, yeah, you could do BitTorrent hosting, right? If you wanted to do that. Um, but still, who pays for it? Like, how does the how do the the like is that what happens? Like the people who host the BitTorrent nodes, I guess that's what they're called. Um, would they would be earning money on the block tube? of the block tube coin right um yeah i mean so the the immutable ledger aspect would just have a reference to some BitTorrent link right? yeah like a magnet link right or whatever right. but you could still use that blockchain to distribute rewards based on your hosting of the video mm -hmm. so if you contribute if you i forget the term seed the video or yeah whatever, yeah i think that is yeah um then you know you could use the the blockchain to say this is the address that is hosting that or hosting a portion of it mm -hmm. and they streamed out or, or broadcasts out this much bandwidth mm -hmm. so let's give them this much reward right it's like reverse reverse spotify yeah. <laughs> it's like paying the paying the the person who's hosting yeah. Uh, and presumably also paying the, maybe even paying the, some amount to the, to the creator. Yeah. It, it's more, so with Spotify or whatever, it's like a two-sided market, right? You have creators and right. consumers. Um, but there's a whole piece in the middle that's kind of fuzzy. <laughs> so with blockchain, it's more of a three-sided market where you have creators, consumers, and whoever wants Hosters. to host whatever um, mm -hmm. can be all three of those or sure. one or none. It's up to you. Mm. 
Man, it's interesting. It it does it, it but then now I go straight back to the like, okay, so now there's like, you know, a hundred versions of every video and it's like, where's this hard drive gonna come? Are these hard drives gonna come from? Yeah. Well Yeah, but let's say that that fixes itself or compression, some compression algorithm. For sure. I think uh that's where so the blockchain it's it's good for storing some things. There's a reason NFTs yeah. don't store the whole JPEG. Right. right. Uh, you you wouldn't want to blow it up to that pr- proportion, but having something like a like a BitTorrent side protocol allows you to have less replication of the, the heavy data intensive things, but still have that cryptographic verifiability of all of those. Yeah, yeah. So, I so this is going to seem like it's out of left field, but I, I feel like the, um, I don't know how familiar you are with like deep fakes. Um, a little. Yeah. But they're terrifying. Like when you For see sure. one, you're like, wow, if that was Obama or, or, you know, like I'd be like, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be like when you see, you know, uh, an image and you're like, Oh, that's Photoshop. Like that's fake. You know, I don't think the general public is really familiar with deep fakes yet. And they are very convincing yeah. already. And that I'm sure that'll only get better. So the idea of having cryptographically signed, you know, by the white house or, or, or whoever, like by CNN or whoever the celebrity, a celebrity, like, you know, like, yeah, Kim Kardashian actually did upload this video. I feel like there's going to be a, I mean, it's, it's a separate, a whole separate thread, but I feel like there's some kind of um, collision point, or like a collision's the wrong word, but like I feel like they they that cryptography is almost going to be required, yeah, for verification. At least like stuff coming out of the New York Times, let's say. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be the um, I don't know uh, <laughs> what do they call them the the tabloids, uh, yeah. where you know there's going to be claims being made about people that aren't verifiable and some people will believe them um right but if if you believe that the source of truth has to be this uh for whatever the content is then that helps that the claim didn't come from them now you can say well whether or not that's a real video i'm not going to trust it because i can see that it didn't come from the right source exactly Mm -hmm. yeah it feels it feels like it could be important. Like I think it's going to become increasingly important. Yeah. Uh, to, at least to I mean, uh, not from a DRM sense because I've got feelings about DRM, but just from a from a validity sense. Like, like um, you know when when like uh, there's this news item that just like Louis C.K. is a creep or whatever, and then Louis C.K. goes on his Twitter account and is like, yeah, I actually did that versus what somebody else would have done or, or maybe someone else would have done to just be like, this is not true, you know, but when someone does say, yeah, that was me, it would be, it would be, it's coming from, you know, you're using Twitter as a proxy, but it's, you know, it would be cooler if it was like blockchain and like this address who, who must be Louis CK also said that, yes, this is true or whatever. Uh, I feel like that's going to become increasingly important. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. If Twitter is your source of truth, then, (laughs) (laughs) right? Yeah, it's bad, right. That's 
it's good that that Louis C.K. has a way to go out and post something from him. Mm-hmm. But if Twitter or somebody at Twitter or whatever, somebody who hacks Twitter, decides to make a claim as Louis C.K., mm-hmm. now where's where's the trust? Yeah, no, that's bad. But it, does it happen? Like, is it is it not a rampant problem? So sure. I, I totally get the logic of it. And idealistically, it, it would be better if there was a thing that you didn't have to trust. Um, not to get back to the trustless thing, it's like, it's really cool. Like the idea of an immutable ledger is really cool. Yeah. It's also not that new. Like it's Markle trees, right? So that's, okay. So it's like cryptocurrency is like the perfect application because, well, it, it's an obvious application, I should say like that. Um, but for some of these other things, it feel, a lot of times it feels like, like, yeah, that would be cool. And people like us think it would be better. But, you know, or, you know, I think, I think it'd be important for like the greater good. If yeah. you could actually make sure that, that, you know, someone over at Twitter HQ isn't like dorking around in the right. Redis or something, whatever they're using, like changing stuff around. I right. doubt it's, I mean, it's like, it's kind of like, well, you could say that like the, the U S postal service is like absurdly insecure, right? Like a mailman or whatever po- delivery person could open up anything. Right. But why don't they? Well, because the penalties are enormous and I'm sure that's true at Twitter. I'm sure the penalties are enormous for goofing around in somebody's account or like taking somebody down without. Right. Um, right? So there's, they're like, at least what was that? At the very least lose your job. Yeah. At the very least. Yeah. So, um, but I get the, I get the, like, it's, it's just really hard to think of scenarios where you can't have a little bit of trust. Yeah. And the other thing is that the trust is, is really only in the blockchain piece itself and all the layers on top of it still require a lot of trust. They're currently. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like it, it lets people, it tempts people to let their guard down and be like, Oh, trustless, I, you know, this can't <laughs> yeah. be taken down. Yeah. I, I don't like the term trustless. Um, the, the the trust itself is distributed. Do you trust the whole network? Um, how are you doing on time? Well, it's more like do you trust OpenSea's API? <laughs> yes. T- today, you're absolutely right. There are still centralized points, and unless you're going to go through the trouble of, you know, doing things in a way that doesn't have those single points of failure, you're still trusting some centralized entity that's talking to the blockchain on your behalf. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. And you don't even know who. It's not obvious. Right. It's obvious who I'm trusting when I deposit a check into Bank of America with my camera. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time you have people in crypto who are pseudo-anonymous. You've got Satoshi Nakamoto. You've got... Mm. uh, it's, It's super common for people to be in this space as like the sole developer of something that a lot of people use and you don't even know who they are. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, th- there's, there's a lot to be ironed out before blockchain as an idea is accessible to the masses. Mm. It's, it's exciting enough that it's attracting money and certain people. Money and talent. Yes. It's attracting a lot of money and talent, which I think is, is another reason why I'm like, Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the there's a whole <laughs> we could go way deeper. 
How are you doing on time? Uh, I'm going to be coming up against something soon, so maybe we should start to wrap. All right, let's, let's start wrapping up. So I'll, I'll leave you with, with one thought here. Okay. The, the way that I think about business in a decentralized environment, and I think your, your perspective is, is interesting because you're a solo entrepreneur, um, or whatever you want to call yourself. Yeah. Uh, but for somebody who's from a larger corporation, works with a whole bunch of people, at least my experience, they tend to think of we are a hub and individuals work with us. And it's not just I'm one player in a decentralized environment. Um, like there's, there's islands and we're competing with other islands and people are coming to us. Um, Where the island is the company? Yes. Okay. Um, in, uh, if you're building something on blockchain that's decentralized, you are creating something, an app that runs on the blockchain. And if you want it to be decentralized, you're going to give away control of what you've created to the mm. network. Right. Um, also and, fascinating. Yeah. DAOs is another thing that's got my attention. We didn't talk about it, but yeah. More, more to talk about. Uh, but yeah, so you're giving away control and now you're just one player in a decentralized environment. So rather than being, we are the app and everybody comes to us, mm. if I'm one user of this app and people might come through me to get to the app or something like that, but uh, it's still, yeah, it's a, it's a different mental model if you're coming from that perspective. Yeah. So, so yeah, I know we're wrapping up, but the, the thing that is very interesting to me about DAOs is, you know, someone like me, I'm no spring chicken, and I am, my whole business is oriented around starting a movement. And it won't, I can't do the lifting all by myself. Like, it needs to be a movement. Right. So, so for people who are thinking, like, legacy-wise, and, um, and they don't want all of the crufty legal overhead of, what it would take to set up a foundation or something like that. It's like, like, I think DAOs are really interesting in the foundation sense, less so in the company sense right now. Sure. I know a lot of people are experimenting with it and that could be cool, but it's the, the much more obvious use case for me is like trusts and foundations yep. and, and, or, or, you know, yeah, yeah. Trusts and foundations, like nonprofit types of things that are just trying to like change the culture. Mm-hmm. And be able to create an engine that has financial incentives or otherwise could be status. There could be a bunch of things that you could build into it sure. that would allow people to, of their own volition, jump in and become, uh, I don't know what you call it. Uh, I don't know what a member of a DAO is called, but, but you know, anti-in. Governance. Or, uh, it's a member of a DAO. Member, okay. So for people who run membership communities, it's like, wow, that is really cool. Especially if you, the thing you need to be comfortable with is that uh, you wouldn't have control over it, right. probably. Eventually, you definitely wouldn't. But at, you know, at some point, in <laughs> a long enough timeline. But you know, I, I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah. That, to me, is very fascinating. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's, it's a way to align people with a, with a common goal and tie that up with economic incentives. Right. To self, like for it to be self funding yeah. would be just a dream. That would be a dream come true. Cause like we, on my other podcast, we talk about, you know, like you're on a mission. How do you fund it? 
right? It's not about like making a billion dollars or whatever. Like that's, you know, I, I'm not, that's like a, a kind of person who doesn't need my help. Someone, someone who's trying to fund a mission, it's like, well, how do I put Cheerios in the bowl? Like, how do I eat, right. you know, and, and, and do so without massive overhead of a big organization, a traditional style organization and like all of the waste and BS involved with that. So for someone who's like a solo operator who want, who would love to have a sort of self-funding autonomous engine of people that were uh, all aligned around a particular goal is just like, that might be the, that, that might be the most interesting thing of any of this. And we barely talked about it, but <laughs> maybe okay. next time. Yeah. Maybe next time. Um, yeah, well, we're, we're right up against time here. So I'll, uh, yeah. I'll let you go. This, that's all the time we have, but really thank you, John. This was a great discussion. My um, pleasure. It's really fun to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where can people find you? I'll just go to jonathanstark.com. It's my, my own web server. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, digital oceans, but yeah. 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 <laughs> I've got backups. Perfect. Um, awesome. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Hope you all join me next week for the CoinPress podcast and we'll talk to you later.